0: and we all got dreams we all want things but what you gonna do for how you gonna move for what you gonna be and do you believe you can do anything but what you gonna do for how you gonna move for
1: what you gonna be? another edition of outside shots presented by the lines.com you can follow us on x at the lines us you can follow me at eli and you can follow my coast at Steven Andres. Steven, did I pronounce your last name correctly this time?
0: No. <laughs> it's okay though. You are like the hundredth person that's tried to give me some Latin flair in my life. And I appreciate it, but I'm just a boring old white guy. So Steven
1: Andress in the number one on Twitter. I always get it confused in my head. I thought you my, said it was listen, the other way around. Story,
0: my best friend from high school has like mispronounced my name forever. And he just, I tried over and over. He just can't get it. So hopefully the bar is set low for you. So don't worry about it.
1: Yeah. I would <laughs> assume the odds of anyone pronouncing our last names correctly, both of them would be like infinity to one. So (laughs) we got a tough mix. What we do have on the show for sure is a breakdown of the biggest games on the college basketball slate this coming Saturday. If you watched college hoops on Wednesday night, as we're recording this Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, you got your typical dog that lost in overtime with Nebraska closing as a two and a half point underdog at Rutgers winning by five, leading by five with 324 left in regulation. They lose by five in overtime. So dogs go to die in overtime. That notion held true in the Big Ten per usual. And then Rodney Terry calling out UCF players for the horns down thing at the end of Texas's loss to UCF, the Knights.
0: The horror, clutch the pearls. How dare anybody do horns down? It's just, <laughs> it's it's like the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not horns down, apparently, if you live in Austin.
1: <laughs> I like it. Yeah, pull it up. Mike Shashevsky. pretty much. I tweeted that out last night or X'd it out. That sounds kind of weird, but I think that's what Elon Musk wants to go with. Maybe <laughs> Texas should be a little bit more concerned about their defense. Number 66 in adjusted defensive efficiency. You lose... Three key defenders from last year's team, Sir Jabari Rice, Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop. I was in on that team when Chris Beard was the coach. Apparently, he wants to act like the hierarchy when Texas can't win a pretty favorable Big 12 game. They were eight and a half point favorites, like I mentioned. So pretty bizarre, man. But looking forward to this weekend card in college basketball.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's It's loaded, you know. I went to Syracuse, still have a soft spot for the Big East. We're going to talk a lot about the Big East in this episode. Kind of the logistics around this show moving forward. We're going to use this show each week to talk a lot about the Saturday slate. However, it's it's tough to do a betting show in college basketball when the lines don't come out till late night before. And we want to give you guys enough time to be able to find this show on YouTube and our audio feed so that you can have actionable – Helpful information. The nature of that means we're going to have to do this show before the lines come out. So this show gets edited on Friday. It's going to get posted then. Give you guys a little extra shelf life. What we'll do is we'll share a lot of the information. Projected spreads from Ken Palm and our fantastic partner at Metrics coming into these games. Share Eli's thoughts. His power rankings. Uh, advanced metrics that we're looking at for these games. To kind of give you an idea of where we might be looking. Where we might be heading before the lines even come out. And then, as always, you can go to the Lions.com free Discord channel. Go to the homepage, top right-hand corner. You can find the button. Again, free to join. And in the basketball bets area, the staff basketball bets and the college basketball betting discussion, we have more than 4,000 members talking college hoops every day. And if I make a bet, I will put it in the Discord. And frankly, a lot of these games we're talking about here each and every week on the show very likely I'm going to have at least one bet from one of these games. So that's where you can find those and follow up after you listen to the show.
1: Yeah, and you can also, if you're going to be tailing or fading any bets from anyone, you can use BetMGM promo code, the lines one word to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. So keep in mind, you need to be a first-time user. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And before we get into these games, just quick nugget that I found yesterday on Kenpom. Highest collective offensive efficiency through the first 73 days of a college basketball season in the Kempom database, which dates back to 1997. So we are seeing some excellent offensive play when it comes to free throw percentage, two-point field goal rate, the highest two-point field goal clip over this, what, 23, 24-year stretch, 26 maybe, if I was better at math, in Kempom history. So it's been a fun year, and a lot of those teams that rank in the top 25 of adjusted offensive efficiency we're going to break down on the show today.
0: Yeah, and you know, I've been told that the only curse word I can't say on this show is the F word, so uh, that's good to know, and I'm going to drop one here because I think, at least to me, Eli, one of the biggest reasons we've seen such a big increase in scoring in college basketball is fewer of these bullshit charge calls we've seen over the past few years. You know, it's it's a lot harder to get a charge called now this season than it has been in any other season in our lifetime. The bar is very high to get a charge. Most of these are becoming block calls now. And I think that's led to more free throws, higher scoring, tougher to play kind of like help defense when you're if if you're just going to try and stand in and take a charge. So I think that's a big difference. So far in conference play, I haven't seen More of the like tougher whistle, you know, the kind of conference play. It's a grinded out situation. We kind of see that sometimes some of the rules that get emphasized in the non-conference kind of go by the wayside when we get to the conference play. Even coaches have said that to us. Coaches have said that nationally over the years. I don't think we're seeing that quite yet. So it makes me think that this might continue into conference tournaments, NCAA tournament, where the scoring is going to stay pretty high compared to most years.
1: Yeah, I also think it correlates to the transfer portal in terms of now power six, power seven, depending on what kind of conferences you want to loop in to that crop of teams. And again, conferences, I think you're seeing just highly efficient play at that end of the court because of the talent that are going to some of these high major programs, like a school in UConn that loses three of its core players from last year's national championship team. And then. You add not only the incoming freshmen, but Cam Spencer from Rutgers, who essentially replaced Jordan Hawkins as their best shooter and one of the most elite shooters in college basketball dating back to last season. And in an offense that's loaded this year, he's upped his efficiency, which is part of the course. But still, you're seeing that across college basketball, not just with UConn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what do you say we get into this awesome Saturday slate here of games, Eli? And we're going to start with a noon tip off on Saturday in the Big East at Madison Square Garden. Marquette going on the road to take on St. John's Golden Eagles number 17 in the AP poll right now. If you look at the Haslam metrics ranks, they have Marquette at number 15, St. John's at number 40. St. John's uh, had to play a game middle of the week without Rick Pitino coming back from COVID-19. Uh, if you look at offensive efficiency here, it's Marquette who's slightly better around 116 per 100 possessions. St. John's at 114. Defensive efficiency despite Rick Pitino and his kind of press style. He's known over the past few decades for having a solid defensive teams that continue to get better as March gets closer. It's Marquette that actually still has a slight edge in terms of defensive efficiency here. So um, if you look at kind of the projected spread that Haslametrics has, basically a pick'em here at MSG. Uh, still considered home court for St. John's, even though we're not at, at Carnesecca Arena here. Your initial thoughts on this matchup between these two solid biggies teams, and I think a St. John's team that is starting to maybe outperform expectations, minus the the setback without Patino on the bench a couple of nights ago.
1: Yeah, and Seton Hall went on a 28-0 run in the first half of that game, <laughs> wow. believe it or not, which blew it wide open. Jordan Dingle also missed the game for St. John's, speaking of transfers, and from the lower major, low major ranks to the high major ranks coming over from Penn. Now, with the Johnnies, missed that game with an illness. So, we'll see if he goes. Not that that was why St. John's lost by Close to 30 points. I think that definitely correlates more to Patino's absence. But still, Dingle's ability to create off the dribble, whether it's a catch-and-shoot shot or attacking the basket, definitely missed for the Red Storm. But looking at Marquette, also missing some integral pieces. Not necessarily coming back for this game either. Sean Jones, their backup point guard to Tyler Kolick. Also a little bit more of a two off the bench toward an ACL. Last week, I think so, out for the rest of the season. And Chase Ross, also a depth piece off the bench, two-guard wing out till the end of the month. And if you look at Marquette's shooting efficiency from behind the arc in conference play, 27.8%. And like I mentioned, without Ross, without Jones, guard depth could be an issue to the point that you brought up or because of the point you brought up with st john's pressing now this isn't your typical johnny's press or even your patino press even going back to last year and his short brief tenure with iona if you want to backtrack a bit more to louisville or even his kentucky days st john's ranks in the 63rd percentile in press frequency per synergy so they're not in the 90th percentile even 80th percentile kind of like when mike anderson was at the helm for st john's now Like you hit on, St. John's should outperform expectations the rest of the way, and they already have to begin Big East play, which wasn't the case in Anderson's tenure. But then you look at St. John's three-point defense, allowing opponents to shoot around 28%. Is Marquette going to hold true to that 27% clip? Maybe just because if they get worn down by the Johnny's defense throughout this game, maybe Cole's efficiency Is continues to be an issue. Also, Cam Jones, you look at his three-point shooting in conference play. He got back on track against Villanova, but a combined 4 of 20 in those Butler and Seton Hall losses. So Jones is going to have to find his touch from deep for Marquette to be able to compete against St. John's. And I say that with all honesty because you mentioned the Haslametrics point spread. I have St. John's closer to around a pick against Marquette. When I take out my priors and just looking at the last month of conference play in, in the Big East. So you look at St. John's also 36 percentile in defensive efficiency in transition. So that could be an issue against a Marquette team that wants to get out on the break. But I really think this boils down to whether Marquette can find its three-point shooting against this St. John's defense that could be due for a bit of defensive regression.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of where my head was at on this one, Eli. Is, you know, I saw potential positive regression here for Marquette's three-point shooting. I don't know when it's going to come, but I feel like it's going to have to come at this point. Jones and Kolek, their three-point field goal percentage is, is down from last season, from what we saw. Uh, I wonder if at some point that's going to get back to the averages we saw a season ago. And just overall, the way these two teams play offense— really makes me want to side with Marquette in this matchup. I'm always hesitant to take, you know, a team to cover on the road here, especially if it's going to be around a pick and we're not getting a lot of points. It's just, it's a tough ask, but this isn't a true college road environment here at MSG. So it's, it's, you know, I think you get more casual fans in there. It's not a tight, loud arena, like for a normal St. John's game. It's kind of like the equivalent of when Villanova plays at Wells Fargo center, right? There's a lot of empty seats, even for big games. But if we look at the style of these two teams and, and the quality of shots that they take, you know, St. John's 328th in rim and three rate, Marquette 30th in the country in rim and three rate. Marquette understands the highest quality shots you can take, the highest efficiency shots you can take. And they are, they've totally bought into that being top 30 in the country, and St. John's has it. They still take a ton of mid-range shots, low-efficiency shots. They're 26th in the nation in turnover percentage offensively, so they don't give the ball away very much at a top 30 rate. And on defense, they're top 10 enforcing turnovers in terms of turnover percentage. So you know, I like that. A team that takes the ball away a lot and doesn't give the ball away a lot, that leads for extra opportunities. So if this line is going to be around a pick them, Even though they're on the road, I still like Marquette here to basically just win the game against St. John's.
1: Definitely fair points. The one thing I will say about Marquette, and I say it in the same vein as Creighton is struggling, similar sense, just you lose key pieces, you lose athletic pieces going back to last year for Marquette. Not just what they've lost this season with those injuries that I mentioned, Jones and Ross, but Omax Prosper, what he meant to Marquette defensively, his ability to switch on any position. I think he allowed, individual defense-wise, around a 26%, 27% field goal clip when it came to, again, just his matchup. So with Creighton and what they lost athletically, Marquette lost arguably its best, Defensive player when it came to its Swiss Army knife on that end of the floor. So just one thing to keep in mind when you look at Marquette, they may have been power rated a little bit too high entering the season and now drifting back into the range. Maybe you are right, Steven. Maybe this is a buy low, but I would still be a little bit concerned with those current injuries just because of the depth on this team as it stands. Just a
0: quick note on Marquette. Big picture, Eli, and their futures. You know, I noticed that right now you have them number 12 in your power rankings, slightly higher than the AP poll has them right now at number 17. This is a team that had top 10 expectations coming into the year, coming off a regular season in a Big East tournament title a year ago. You know, if, if we look at their futures, 35 to one to na- win the national championship, plus 950 can be found on them to make it to the final four. I love the way they play offense. I, I, th- certainly hear you on the defensive concerns, but where just big picture are you when it comes to Marquette and their potential ability to reach the final four after a disappointing tournament a year ago?
1: I wouldn't bet the futures, even at this current, whether you want to call it a buy low state or just a bit of a dip because entering the season, they were in the plus 20 or 20 to one range, 25 to one range. But you look at rebounding efficiency, A, they don't create a lot of second chance shots and B, they're not... I mean, they're around par when it comes to defensive rebounding rate, So that's my concern, and that's a big concern in March, even though they have the offensive efficiency that we touched on and alluded to from the get-go on this podcast where offensive efficiency is up in college basketball and the highest it's been in offensive efficiency margin over the last 27 years in the Kempom era. But to that point, defense matters even more so. Than it has in the past. That's the way I view that match, or at least the slight rise in offensive efficiency this year. And while Marquette, top 20 adjusted defensive efficiency, what goes into that category, in a sense, is being able to limit opponents from generating second chance shots, which Marquette doesn't do at a super efficient clip. So that's my concern with this team on top of the injuries and in depth.
0: Let's check out another Biggies matchup here on Saturday. We have Creighton taking on Seton Hall in this one. I believe this is also a noon tip off. Uh, if we look at some of the rankings here in terms of Haslametrics, Creighton is number 13, Villanova sitting at number 23. Uh, Eli, we got to have a conversation here about Creighton. I, I don't know if you saw them against UConn on Wednesday night, and maybe it's more credit to UConn. Um, than it is a downgrade for Creighton offensively. But I think you and I would both agree that our expectations from Creighton haven't exactly been met here so far this season, with us both having futures on them before the year started. Um, Then again, maybe this is just you know kind of the midseason swoon we see in the Big East. It happens from time to time, and it gets a little easier when you're playing non-Big East opponents when you get to the tournament. So uh, what are you seeing here for this Creighton-Seton Hall matchup? And um and how what's your what's your DEFCON level on Creighton
1: at this point? It's concerning. It's definitely in the warning area. And if you look at some of their efficiency numbers in conference play, maybe you see this as a buy point on at least Creighton's offense because they're shooting just below thirty percent. They got a lot of open looks in that UConn game that they missed. But I also thought some of those misses were just a product of tired legs because a UConn was completely controlling the tempo. Not that Creighton doesn't want to push the floor either, but the one difference that you have in this Creighton team that I didn't think was going to be the case is the point guard drop-off from Ryan Nemhart to Steven Ashworth going back to last year. Now, I know Nemhart hasn't been super efficient from the beginning of the season, maybe midpoint of non-conference play up until now with Gonzaga. But still, his ability to create off the dribble is something that Creighton is heavily missing when their three-point shots aren't dropping, which they haven't in conference play. And Arthur Kaluma while he was a bit of a clumsy player when it came to his individual turnover rate, still really athletic and in a similar sense to what Olmax Prosper brought to Marquette last year. A bit of a Swiss Army knife, in a sense, for Creighton defensively and his ability to switch. And we're seeing that a bit with Kansas State. I don't know how Kansas State is 10-0 in overtime games under Jerome Tang, but somehow they are. And Kaluma is a part of that success this season, but definitely hindering Creighton's ability to showcase any athleticism because you're not generating second-chance shots to the point that I brought up with Marquette too. Creighton eighth in offensive rebounding percentage In Big East play, turnovers are also an issue, which I didn't expect to be the case. I thought Trey Alexander would be a lot more efficient when it came to attacking the rim and his mid-range game, which is his best attribute, ability to create off the dribble. I I mentioned that Creighton doesn't have a point guard that can do that. I thought Ashworth was going to be playing more off-ball and Alexander more on-ball, which has been the case. But the efficiency level hasn't risen to the point that I expected and a lot of prognosticators expected when Creighton was expected to at least make another Final Four run or be in the conversation. Now, they'll be in the 4-5 or seed range. I don't think last night's loss is any sort of a drop-off for Marquette's NCAA tournament seeding just because UConn is likely going to be a number one seed. But all the concerns I had about Creighton entering that game, I'm still concerned with and I would be concerned with going into the Seton Hall game, a very athletic team that has risen above the expectations that we saw entering the season.
0: I want to ask you, though, about the way Seton Hall is racking up these wins, though. Currently 56 in the country in terms of you know luck, if you look at Palm. They're four of their last five wins by four, three, four, and six points. When Seton Hall beat UConn, UConn shot only 4 of 21 from 3 in that game against Seton Hall. This is still a team, if you look at adjusted defensive efficiency, is only 77th. So all that, to me, makes me wonder if this is a buy-low spot for Creighton with how frustrated we've been with them um, and just how much Seton Hall seems to be outperforming expectations. you know, It makes me wonder if if we're going to get a cheap price here on Creighton. Haslametrics has this as about... Creighton minus two if he was making the line, and I'm not sure that's the line we're going to see in this one after what we just saw from Creighton and how good Seton Hall has looked.
1: Right. Seton Hall, to your point, 35th, allowing the 35th highest three-point scoring rate in college basketball, so they do give up a lot of threes or at least a large chunk of points to the opponent from behind the arc. Now, I still think athleticism could be an issue for Creighton in this game where If Seton Hall is maybe slowing down the tempo a bit, if you look at average possession length in Big East play, Seton Hall ranks bottom two in the conference. So Kadari Richmond also has taken a major step for Seton Hall when it comes to his individual efficiency. But this this spot kind of reminds me of Marquette last season outperforming expectations in Big East play. And like you said, Luck has been on Seton Hall side when it comes to average margin of victory. Some coin flip wins for sure during their five-game stretch after losing by double digits 20 points at Xavier. But I don't know if this is necessarily the spot to back Creighton just because I still think Creighton may be a tad overvalued.
0: Yeah, fair enough. If we look at Creighton futures right now, it's certainly gotten more around the number we saw when the market opened, as opposed to when, you know, people started betting into this like you and I did uh, coming into the season. 40 to one right now to win the national title, plus 950 to reach the final four. Right now you have them dropped in your power rankings to number 22. Uh, That's a pretty decent dip from where you had them at their ceiling earlier this year, right?
1: Yeah, I had Creighton as a top five power rated team. And that goes back to the point that I brought up with the unexpected drop off, at least in the sense that Ashworth, the three-point shooting hasn't been consistent for him. So even though he can't create off the dribble himself, and Nemhard could in a sense, you're not seeing what Ashworth's best attribute is to this Creighton team, which is being able to give you a high level of efficiency from behind the arc like he did during his tenure at Utah State. So unless that changes at Seton Hall, unless Creighton shoots lights out, which very well could happen, I think this is... The right point in terms of where Creighton should be positioned in my power ratings. I don't think I'm going to be shifting them a lot, but at the same time, I don't think that means this is a buy point on Creighton for the long term.
0: So Creighton gets mollywhopped by UConn. On Wednesday night, number one team in the nation. If you look at the AP poll, they go on the road to take on Villanova on Saturday night, eight o'clock Eastern time tip. This game off campus at the 76ers arena, the Wells Fargo Center in South Philadelphia. If you look at Haslam metrics ranks, UConn only number 13, despite that AP poll ranking Villanova number 22. Which makes me curious what the spread of this one's going to be. If it's going to be more in line with you know kind of the the rankings that the AP poll has. So uh, if we look at the projected sp- spread from Haslametrics, it actually has Villanova favored by less than a point in this one. So uh, Eli, where do you land on this? I think it's just an interesting situation with UConn. Uh, they get their big back on Wednesday night looked absolutely phenomenal defensively in that game. I mean, it it looked like Creighton couldn't buy a bucket for stretches of that second half. Really impressive by my eyes. So, you know, just your initial thoughts on this matchup between UConn and Villanova.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that surprised and has impressed me the most about UConn is Castle's jump ever since he came back from his injury and Non conference play. Now he's not providing the shooting that Andre Jackson didn't provide in his own right last year and hurley adjusted in the midst of Biggie's play. And that really propelled the UConn to making that national championship run cash on those futures. Castle shooting about 20% from behind the arc. So if that improves, he's a five-star freshman, it could very well improve. It definitely tacks on the Yukon ceiling. Also Donovan Klingon back in the lineup returned last night and made a huge impact. For the Huskies off the bench, we'll see if he starts. But when Klingon is on the floor in this game, that's going to give Villanova an opportunity to really space out this UConn defense. And that's where UConn took advantage or maybe got a little fortunate with their seeding in the NCAA tournament. Because just based off last night, I think you're going to have a lot of betters and just college basketball fans saying, oh, UConn is going to repeat and be the first team to repeat as national champion since Florida. If Villanova can stretch the floor with Eric Dixon, who's shooting just below 36% and give you that five out offense, which Villanova certainly has the capability to do on a nightly basis, especially since Justin Moore is back from that knee injury return against DePaul last week. I know Villanova lost at Marquette, but good bounce back spot for the gold Eagles against the Wildcats on Wednesday night. I make this line at around a pick'em. So, assuming Villanova gets Longino back,
0: no, just, no chance this is a pick'em, right? No chance they're, they'll make Yukon like a possession favorite. I would think, even though they're on the road,
1: we'll maybe see. a point or two. I could see this closing with Yukon either being a short favorite or around a pick'em. I'll say that it may yeah. not open at a pick'em, but I would not be surprised if the line gets bet down to where Villanova closes pick. Minus one, just because A, playing at home, even though, like you mentioned, this is at Wells Fargo, and B, Villanova has offensive advantage to the point that they had it against UConn going back to two years ago before UConn made the leap last season where they were able to space out Adama Sunogo with Eric Dixon at the five. That's where Villanova has an edge and teams typically have an edge even though UConn has an elite big in Klingon. He's a little bit slow-footed, and he's not great at closing out. UConn plays drop coverage to the same sense that Creighton played drop last night against Villanova, or against UConn, I should say, and Cam Spencer took advantage in in terms of UConn's backcourt. So I give the edge to Villanova offensively, and I definitely see the market coming in towards Villanova, no matter where this line opens up.
0: They're a smart offense, too. They rank 42nd in the country in rim and three-rate Villanova does, so you know that they're going to be taking smart, efficient, potentially efficient shots there, uh, high-quality shots, so I like that about Villanova as well. I don't have as big of an opinion on this matchup as you do, but certainly cannot wait to see it. I think it's certainly a uh, a spot where you know you're going to absolutely get Villanova's best effort. You're going to get students coming over from campus, on the main line to come to this game against one of the best, if not the best teams in the country defending national champions. So, you know, you're going to get a full effort for this one. Absolutely. For sure. Um, Even if the, uh, you know, the upper deck of the NBA arena is only half full. Like it is most of the time (laughs) for these, for these Villanova games in, in NBA arenas. Let's head over to the SEC. Now, Eli, a 1 PM tip off on Saturday between South Carolina in, and Arkansas at Bud Walton Arena. Haslametrics has this as the number 89 ranked team in South Carolina against Arkansas, who's at number 115. Which to me, I say, well, what did what the heck do you want to talk about? A couple of potential NIT teams here for, but clearly you see something in this matchup that has piqued your interest.
1: Yeah, I see this potentially as another buy low opportunity. With Arkansas, they closed around two and a half, three point dogs against AM on Tuesday night and almost blew that late lead to the Aggies. I don't know why on the flip side, Buzz Williams called timeout and then didn't pressure the ball against Tremont Mark. Let him walk, waltz up the court really with seven yeah, I seconds. I imagine that's no. not
0: what the conversation was in the timeout huddle.
1: But maybe Wade Taylor the fourth was just on a high after hitting that ridiculous shot. Honestly, it reminded me a bit of Marcus Page's three that went completely unnoticed because then what happened on the ensuing possession, which won Jay Wright's first national title at Villanova, Chris yeah. Jenkins hits the three on the iconic play from Archie Diacono. That shot that Wade Taylor hit for the lead for Texas A&M was ridiculous, like double clutch in double coverage, essentially. I don't know how he got that shot off to begin with, let alone hit it. Just goes to show you how good of a player he is and kind of speaks to Texas a and m ceiling if they can reach it, if this team does indeed make the NCAA tournament. But both teams in this game, South Carolina and Arkansas shooting under 28% from three. So kind of sticking with a the theme of by low opportunities, now, South Carolina isn't trying to necessarily shoot the ball a ton from beyond the arc. Arkansas is, maybe not by design. They just have a bunch of shuckers, whether it's Khalif Battle coming over from Temple or L. Ellis from Louisville. You have a lot of three-point shooters or at least three-point reliant players when it comes to the shots they want to take. Now, you look at South Carolina Fairly efficient transition defense, which comes into play against an Arkansas team that certainly wants to push the pace. Now I say that with a little bit of jest just because South Carolina, when they played upper echelon teams like Alabama last week, they struggled, and you look at their transition defense in particular, lost in blowoff fashion to the Crimson Tide, allowed one point two three points per possession. In transition, that's exactly what the Hogs want to do against Michi Johnson and this Gamecocks team that wants to play at a much slower pace. Number 336 in Kempom in regards to their average possession length. So it's going to come down to tempo. Would I expect Arkansas's three-point efficiency to continue to rise like it did against A&M, especially at home at Bud Walton Arena? Yes, but if the Gamecocks slow down the tempo and they're efficient-ish in the half court. Keep this more in the lower scoring range than it could be another loss for Arkansas in kind of crazy fashion, just considering that would be their second loss so far at home, which typically doesn't happen at Bud Walton Arena. But slight edge for me on the hog, Stephen.
0: Pom makes it Arkansas minus two. Hazel makes it Arkansas minus one. The question I have for you is how concerned are you about South Carolina's ability to create extra possessions here? They are top 40 in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, an area where Arkansas's defense is outside the top 150. Also, South Carolina really doesn't turn the ball over that much. They're around 100th in the nation there. Meanwhile, Arkansas's defense is outside the top 300 in forcing turnovers. That to me makes me a little bit nervous in terms of South Carolina being able to potentially generate extra possessions here, or at least, you know, not have as many turnovers against an Arkansas defense that isn't great at turning over their opponents.
1: Maybe the one counterpoint that I will say is well, A, it's a home game, and we've seen home teams dominate in power six, power seven conferences. Not that you should, that should dictate your bet in this game, but just something to keep in mind, especially. When it's this arena, I know Auburn waltzed into, speaking of waltzing, uh, at Bud Walton Arena a couple of weeks ago and dominated, and maybe we could talk about the Tigers a bit later because there's a key injury with this Auburn team heading into a massive stretch next week. But on top of that, Arkansas, when you look at strength of schedule, ranks in the 30 range and South Carolina in the 200 range. So okay. I, my counterpoint to you in that regard is, Efficiency wise for South Carolina on the glass, is that going to come to fruition against a much more talented Arkansas team? I say no on the surface, but maybe South Carolina will continue to outperform expectations.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point with Arkansas because they they were not shy in the non-conference games against Stanford, Memphis, North Carolina, Duke, all in a row. Had a basically a a much easier contest against Furman before another contest against Oklahoma in the non-conference. They were, they went out and challenged themselves in the non-conference. So that might be playing into some of the numbers we are seeing here with Arkansas. So uh, to your point, potentially a buy low spot here for the Razorbacks as well. Staying in the SEC, in my opinion, the game of the weekend in that conference, Alabama on the road in Knoxville against number six, Tennessee, Tennessee, if we look at the Haslametrics rankings, even though there isn't a number next to Alabama on the Scorebug, Metrics has this as Alabama number seven in the country, Tennessee number eight in the country. Two p.m. tip off at Thompson Bowling Arena. Eli, this is an interesting one because you know Alabama is one of the—I would say Alabama and Auburn are the two darlings of kind of the metrics community here, uh, even though Alabama is not ranked in the AP poll currently. They are the number one team by adjusted offensive efficiency by Ken Palm. So a really big opportunity for them to potentially show that the metrics are right. And they are one of the better teams in the country, even though the voters don't see it that way at the moment.
1: Alabama's offense, which you would expect under Nate Oates, the pace and space offense. You want to play up tempo. You want to chuck up a lot of threes. And that's exactly what the Tide do. And speaking of strength of schedule, Alabama faced a gauntlet in non-conference play and lost a couple of coin flip games, or at least one in particular, at the aforementioned Creighton Blue Jays. Easily could have won that game if Grant Nelson decided to hit a couple threes. He did not, so they lost. And they took advantage of Ryan Cockbrenner's injury for sure in the first half. He came back to begin the second half. But believe the tide covered in that game, and I think the market is starting to trend in Alabama's direction because, as you mentioned, this line should be around a possession now for tennessee dalton connect is finally healthy which is huge for them mid-major transfer speaking to those from the get-go on this show one of the better scores in college basketball when he is healthy the first tennessee volunteer with back-to-back 35 plus point games since alan houston former new york nick and also former tennessee volunteer going back to the late 80s early 90s, and he suffered that ankle injury in a loss at North Carolina in comeback fashion, mind you. Tennessee almost came back and beat the Tar Heels, another team that is in the top five in college basketball, at least in the AP top 25. But that ankle seems to be healed up. So big for Tennessee at home in this game to have their best player shooting the ball out in the fishing clip again. But on the flip side, going back to Alabama, they've won six straight. Tennessee has won nine of their last 10 games. So I think the market is going to be pretty spot on with the point spread, just because market efficiency wise, Alabama and Tennessee are both red hot. Now, if you look at Alabama in conference play, or at least on the six game winning streak, all those wins, Alabama was able to control the tempo and they have shot lights out in SEC play right around 42%. One point, 2-6 points per possession is Alabama's offensive efficiency on spot-up shots this season. And this probably doesn't come as a surprise to you, Steven. That ranks in the 100th percentile in college basketball per synergy. And the one lineup that could give Tennessee a lot of issues is Sears, Wrightsell, Estrada, Griffin, and Nelson. Because that's your pace and space five-out offense, especially when it do is at the five for Tennessee. Now, both teams rank below league average when it comes to the SEC in turnover percentage. So whoever creates more turnovers and therefore is able to control the tempo in their favor at an up-tempo pace will arguably win the game. But I also think it's going to boil down to whether Alabama can make Tennessee pay and drop coverage with that five-out lineup. And I would expect Oates to go to that five-man rotation a lot with right Cell off the bench at the 2 and Nelson at the 5, just trying to get a little bit of a matchup advantage offensively.
0: So to Tennessee's credit, this is a much improved offense from what we've seen in previous years. If you go back and look, Tennessee finished outside the top 60 in adjusted offensive efficiency a year ago. Right now they're sitting at 21st, so it seems clear that that program realized you know, they're, they're not going to make any noise in the tournament if they don't improve their offense, and they've done that. And the defense is still there. This is still one of the better defenses in the country, number two by adjusted defensive efficiency. Now, although the offense is greatly improved from a year ago, I still take issue with the way they're running their offense, and especially when they're playing a matchup like this against – An elite offense in Alabama. It's not just that they're they're making all their shots, Eli. It's that they're being smart about the kind of shots that they're taking. Alabama ranks twelfth in the nation in rim and three rate. Tennessee is two hundred and tenth. So, I don't like that with Tennessee, especially if if they're if if Alabama is going to run hot here. You know, maybe they drop off a little bit. But I see what you're seeing. If you look at conference play. Tennessee is 12th in the SEC in three-point defense. That's, that's not a good combination when you're facing Alabama here, even if, they, even if they regress a little bit in this matchup. So I guess my follow-up question to you is, is this still a paper tiger with Tennessee? Is this the spot where
1: Alabama gets their signature win? Two good questions. <laughs> I think Tennessee is a national title contender. Not I think. I do believe so, especially okay. with Connect Healthy. That's the key. Like I brought up with Arkansas, South Carolina, not that I'm auto-favoring the home team in this spot. It's yes, a
0: place to play for
1: sure. Right. And I think Alabama could have a bit of a drop off from three. But if they do take advantage of a due in-drop coverage, that's the key for me because that's the one way, even though Alabama would be at a little bit of a deficiency when it comes to their rebounding with Nelson at the five against a much bigger Tennessee team, whether Adu is starting at center, or he will be starting at center, but whether he's on the court at the five or not. So gonna boil down to your typical Alabama game script in a positive or negative sense, whether the threes are dropping with that five-out lineup or whether they're not. And on paper, Three should be good to go, but we've seen it happen plenty where a team gets negative varianced in a road spot, and I'm not saying Tennessee is going to blow them out, but maybe you look Tennessee live if Alabama's either threes are falling early and you expect regression may not happen or they're not falling from the get-go and you expect that to continue.
0: Sure, and, and we'd be remiss without saying that Alabama still appears to be a bit of a liability on defense in this game, sitting 65th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, in terms of projected spreads, Ken Palm makes Tennessee a minus four, Haslam just slightly under minus four here for Tennessee at home uh, in Knoxville. Eli, let's take a moment here because you know, Alabama is one of those teams that is unranked in the AP poll. However, sits pretty high up in your personal power rankings here. And there's a handful of teams that kind of fit that criteria. You know, I, I found five teams that are not ranked in the AP poll right now that cracked your top 25. We just talked about Alabama. You have them at number 10 plus 650 to make it to the final four. Texas A&M, you have it at number 16 at 20 to one to make the final four. Villanova number 19. You have them at also 20 to one to reach the final four. Uh, Also in the top 25, Mississippi State and Kansas State, 18 to one and 38 to one, respectively, currently to to make it to the final four. We mentioned Alabama. We talked about Villanova. You know, which of these five teams that are not ranked in the AP that you have in the top 25, do you think has the highest ceiling potentially when we come to the NCAA tournament at the end of the year um, and, and has the best chance of reaching the final four?
1: If you're asking me of that crop, because I have a little bit of a different answer that may surprise you, okay. But A and M or Mississippi State to me, I think those are two potential lower-seeded teams in March that could make a run. Two experienced coaches, more so Buzz Williams in the dance than Chris Jans, but still two really good coaches. In to me, is the best, or what is the best conference in college basketball in the SEC, Big Twelve. Certainly as an argument, and many will say it's the Big 12, but I make it the SEC per my power ratings. And backcourt is it's not just loaded when you look at the one and the two. It's one of the best backcourts in college basketball with Wade Taylor the fourth and Tyrese Radford. And then the matchup advantage for Mississippi State in the dance would be Tolu Smith and how good that defense is. Now, the counterpoint is What happened against Alabama for Mississippi State last weekend? Alabama controlled the tempo. Mississippi State jumped out to a hot start, was never really able to recover once the tide got hot from deep. And Mississippi State, generally speaking, wants to slow the game down. So when the opposition is able to speed you up and you have to play to that tempo, even though Mississippi State averaged over a point per possession, which is above average for sure, Mississippi State, generally speaking, wants to slow things down, rely on its defense, get the ball to Tolu Smith on the block. But the point that I wanted to bring up is the future that I love, that I bet going back to late November, Auburn 80 to 1, now sitting around 20 to 1 to win the national title. So, therefore, much lower odds to make the final four than some of those teams that you mentioned. Not when it comes to implied probability, but just a better chance to make it to the final weekend in the big dance. Auburn could have a tough stretcher coming up. They blew out Vanderbilt. I was kind of worried about a sleepy spot on Wednesday night. They overcame that, but they play Alabama and Mississippi state, two teams that we've touched on here so far next week. And they may be without Janai Broom, who is one of the most impactful players in college basketball. I think in Ken Palm's top 10, when it comes to individual player rankings and you look at this Auburn team collectively you mentioned where teams get their most efficient shots it during Auburn's 10 game winning streak 13th ranked offensive rim field goal percentage and the top rated defensive rim field goal percentage those numbers coming per Haslametric so an elite rim offense when it comes to offensive efficiency and an elite rim defense and a lot of that has to do with Janai Broom and He may have suffered a bit of a knee strain. We'll see what the reports say later this week. And if he's out against Alabama or Mississippi state, you may get a quote unquote buy low opportunity ish on Auburn. I'm not saying they're going to dip to the 20 to one range to make the final four considering their national title odds are 20 to one right now, but either way price may climb a bit higher in terms of their implied probability Decreasing to make a deep run in March if they lose one or both of those games.
0: Yeah, to your point, the, the voters are still hesitant to move Auburn up here. You have them, you know, number six. The AP poll has them at number 13. And if they drop a couple like you're thinking they might do, they're obviously going to go even lower than 13. You know, we'll see if the, if the odds follow the voters. You know, 20 to one right now than with the national title. Plus 450 is the best price you can find on on Auburn to reach the Final Four. Um, right now, kind of looking at their resume from a bracketology perspective, I mean, what's their best win? Eli, Te- the Texas A&M game. Like, if you look at Ken Palm rankings currently, I, that's basically the best win at the moment. So, in my opinion, you know, if we're going to try and get them up to the two line here, they're going to have to take advantage of some of these matchups in the SEC. Two games against Alabama potentially where they can get some resume boosting wins they have the home is it this? yep home game against Kentucky away game at Tennessee and then maybe we'll see in the SEC tournament here but you know those would be the games i have circled here if we're going to hope to get auburn back up on a higher seed line here the rest of the way if uh you know even after potentially um losing some guys to injury here over the next week or so
1: yeah and you may hear some naysayers say on top of the broom injury if that does wind up impacting Auburn next week that Auburn's taking advantage of an elite home court advantage. Speaking of that, and they certainly have, that's one of the best home courts in college basketball and definitely is baked into my numbers when Auburn is playing at home, but two road games at two very difficult SEC environments and two teams that are trying to fight climbing up the NCAA tournament picture in a sense in terms of bracketology, but also trying to take down maybe a little bit of a fraudulent Auburn team when Broom is on the floor, because that's something I brought up on the last Outside Shots podcast. Even though I'm very high on Auburn, I was talking about this with former Division I coach Tom Crean now with ESPN. When Broom is on the floor, you run into a similar issue that Creighton has with Ryan Cockbrenner and some of the other teams I've touched on, Klingon for UConn, where you have a slower-footed big in-drop coverage And when Auburn faces a team like Alabama, if the tie go to that five out lineup that I mentioned could become an issue for Tennessee this weekend, it could also be an issue for Auburn next week, whether or not broom is on the court. So just something to keep in mind with Auburn granted UConn last year during their national championship run, didn't face a team that could take advantage of them in drop coverage when Adama Sanogo was on the floor. So every team has a weakness And parity in college basketball is at an all-time high, especially when you look at that elite offensive efficiency across the sport. But either way, I do think you may get a buy-low look here in the futures market for Auburn, depending on how some of these results go. Maybe in the short term, buy-low opportunity when Auburn faces Kentucky at home, assuming Broome is good to go for that game.
0: One more game to get to here, and it is a Sunday tip-off. Before we do, just want to remind everybody, if you're watching on YouTube and if you're enjoying the show, you think the information is good, uh, do us a small favor. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, and uh, let us know in the comments what you're betting this weekend in college basketball as well. If you're listening on the audio side, five-star review goes a a long way to try and get some more people here, a new audience to try and uh, share this information with them as well. So we thank you in advance. For that Sunday tip off here at noon, Michigan State goes on the road to take on Maryland. Now, although this is a battle of two currently unranked teams, Eli, you do have Michigan cracking your top 25 at number 24. Our friends over at Haslametrics has Michigan State still at number 10, taking on a Maryland team that Haslametrics has ranked only at number 82. Clearly, you and I would agree that the, the Terps have been a disappointment for us this year after having high hopes coming into the season. Nevertheless, it's at least interesting to me in conference play that their defense has been fairly reliable. Their expected defensive efficiency has basically been met over the past Handful of games here. And meanwhile, Michigan State is 0-3 in true road games this year. So tell us why you circled this game to talk about this week uh, on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I have those Maryland futures, which I pretty much burned from the (laughs) get-go. Long shot, but this is the team, you know, you mentioned their defensive efficiency. I have them power rated when it comes to that end of the court as a top five defense right now. What stinks is, if they didn't lose to Davidson and UAB and non-conference play and maybe are a little more competitive against Villanova, we may be talking and I may be saying that Maryland is a decent long shot, kind of juxtaposed or in the same vein as Mississippi State and Texas A&M to make the Final Four. I don't know if they're going to make the tournament. Probably not. So that's the one downside with that take. But Maryland, maybe with a late-season run, They needed to win against Northwestern Terps if they had won that game and then they beat Michigan State on Sunday may have climbed back on the bubble. But either way, this is the team that Kevin Willard thought he was going to get. This is the team I thought Maryland was going to be granted not as poor offensively. And Jamie Kaiser and Deshaun Harris Smith, those two heralded freshmen, four star or Harris Smith actually was a five star. But Jamie Kaiser has been so inconsistent from three. So has Harris Smith. Not really the defensive player that Maryland thought they were getting, at least when it came to guarding elite Big Ten players and playing more like a sophomore junior than a freshman, at least at that end of the court. But you look at three-point efficiency for Maryland overall, number 350 on that end or in that specific metric, right around 27.5%. Of course, we're recording this game. Before Michigan State takes on Minnesota, I would expect the Spartans to take advantage of a pretty fraudulent Gophers team, and they're 11-point favorites in that game, so keep that in mind, too. You may see this projected spread rise a bit. Michigan State, though, allowing the 67th highest perimeter scoring rate in college basketball, and they've gotten a bit lucky when it comes to unguarded or guarded catch-and-shoot jumpers, Efficiency-wise, their opponents 27.8% in that category. Now, when you typically hear guarded shots, well, you would say, of course, opponents are going to miss, but you would still expect water to meet its level a bit in that percent where Maryland, now I know on the flip side, has not been... Very reliable beyond the arc. But Jordan Geronimo, believe it or not, entered that Northwestern game 11% when it came to his three-point efficiency. Made two threes. Doesn't sound like a lot, but that's the kind of player Maryland thought that they were getting in the transfer portal from Indiana. A bit of an underrated and undervalued floor spacer when it came to his role in Indiana. Jameer Young has been ultra efficient and then some in conference play 23 second half points in that loss at Northwestern going to be a great home court advantage for Maryland in this game. If they want any shot of making the tournament, they need to win it. I have a hunch Maryland takes out Michigan state on Sunday. Also, you brought up that point that Michigan state has struggled mightily on the road could be an issue for them in a hostile environment. Assuming Maryland gets the crowd that I expect.
0: I've mentioned the metric rim and three rate a couple of times in this show, and I want to ask you how you kind of put that stat into context, because I see Michigan State, and despite some of the really high metrics currently on them, or high rankings by the advanced metrics, uh, they rank 333rd in Division 1 in rim and three rate. So to me, I see that, and it makes me think the ceiling for them offensively is capped in any given game, and it makes it a team that is more likely to get upset in any given game. Am I putting too much into that stat? Like how do you frame that stat? Where do you use it in kind of the, the spectrum of your analysis of a team?
1: Absolutely. And just looking at Michigan state in particular, I, I say that with emphasis on the metric and Michigan state's lack of it. Offensively, you go back to North Carolina making that national championship run a couple of years ago. I think it's a fantastic comparison. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for it because <laughs> I didn't see a lot of people saying this entering the season that the loss of Brady Manick on that UNC team that keep in mind was an eight seed, made it all the way to the national title game, but got positive three-point variance when it came to their defense because their opponents couldn't shoot from three that well and weren't able to take advantage of the drop coverage with Armando Baycott. Now, Michigan State's run... They didn't make it as far A last year. They were a seven seed, made it to the Sweet 16, got upended by Kansas State in overtime. So you may say, okay, well, Michigan State wasn't as overvalued as UNC in the ensuing season as the Tar Heels were because they opened up last year as the number one overall team after losing to Kansas in the national title game. Well, Michigan State entered the season as the fifth or top five team in the AP Top 25. I had them keep in mind as in the 10-11 range, so not as low as I have them right now. But still, the loss of Joey Hauser for this team was huge, especially in ball screen sets with Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard because right now Michigan State does not have a reliable four-man. Malik Hall has been inconsistent and then some this year in the scoring department. But what Hauser meant to them as an efficient three-point threat, especially in their ball screen sets, they lack and a lot more because, like you said, they are not super reliant when it comes to the most efficient shots on the court, which is near the rim and from behind the arc. So, Michigan State's offensive ceiling is definitely capped, even though a lot of prognosticators you've seen throughout the season okay, this is a buy low opportunity on Michigan State in any given game, maybe in the context of the short term, but I'm with you. I don't think so in the long term.
0: Yeah, I. <sighs> Gosh, if Maryland can just squeak into the tournament, isn't this a team that we potentially have to look at the draw as a maybe double digit seed making a run to the second weekend? You know, that to me is kind of how I view this team. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. The, the hopes and dreams we had coming into the season with the futures, we better probably out the window. But, you know, there still might be a buy low opportunity here if they can improve their resume enough just to get into the field.
1: Or you make a conference tournament run. We've seen it done yep. before. Georgetown a couple of years ago. So Especially in wonder- the Big Ten. Right, right. We almost saw it with Penn State last year. I don't think they played on the Wednesday or anything crazy like that, the opening round of the conference tournament. But still, a bit of a surprise to your novice batters, even though they play booty ball and did it at a very high level with Jalen Pickett and spaced the floor around him. That was such a fun team to watch. But I digress. Maryland could be a team that you look for and I look for when it comes to Big Ten tournament features.
0: If you dig into Maryland's team profile over at Hazel Metrics, this is now... You know, Again, we, we are recording on, uh, on Thursday, so Maryland does not have a game between now and the Michigan State game, so that's good. Uh, so this is now... One two three four six of their last seven games, they have outperformed their expected defensive efficiency. And the only game in that stretch where they have not was when they faced Purdue, one of the best teams in the country. So you can rely game to game on Maryland's defense. It's just a matter if they do enough offensively where it's you know going to matter. So um, I'm I'm with you. I think Michigan's on ups-
1: upset alert. And one one last quick point about Maryland, Dante Scott has really found his range. Didn't have it in the Purdue game. He seems much more confident. Now, I'm not saying that's going to take Maryland to another level and you'll see them rise in the range of Auburn when it comes to their national title features. But having him confident offensively not only adds to Maryland's low three-point efficiency and it's risen even though they rake number 350 and across Division One in that category, but also gives you a versatile player when it comes to his ability to exploit smaller fours with his back-to-the-basket game.
0: All right, so just to summarize, uh, for me, I'm keeping my eye on the kind of number we're getting for Marquette on Saturday. Um, I'm also keeping an eye on Maryland on Sunday. Uh, Eli, it sounds like you're keeping an eye on the Arkansas spread along with Maryland. Uh, Any others there that I'm missing?
1: Keep in mind, though, that Auburn point that I brought up earlier, just in the futures market, if they lose at Mississippi State, Alabama, now, if somehow the prognosis changes for Janai Broom's knee, and I don't even want to say it, but let's say there's an issue with that in the long term, maybe my thought process changes, but there could be, a bit of a buy low dip in Auburn's futures price where it may be worth looking into over the next week or so. All
0: right. And if, if I bet those, then you can find them in the free lines.com discord. Again, top right-hand corner of the lines.com homepage. You can join, check out the college basketball betting discussion, Uh, really a, a vibrant group there that talks hoops every single day. I've learned a lot just watching and listening to their conversations, Uh, people sharing, betting ideas, angles, letting people know, you know, why is the spread look weird to me? I don't get it. Somebody chimes in, well, they just came out. There's an injury on this team. So um, very useful for college basketball betters, not only now, but for the rest of the season as well. For Eli Hershkovich, I'm Steven Andres. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Best of luck with your college basketball bets this weekend.